0: Hello and welcome to Jenny and Paul's Sellout, episode 24 of the podcast where culture matters and selling out doesn't. I'm Paul Reismandel, one half of your sellout team. Jenny Benevento will join in just a moment. Why does it seem like to be celebrated as a genius, you often also have to be an asshole? And why does society tolerate that? After belatedly reading the Steve Jobs biography, that's the bee in my bonnet. And so it's the topic for this episode. Stay tuned. Hello, Jenny. Hello, Paul. So, this is our second um, podcast or recording over the internet because uh, you are uh, in Chicago and I am not
1: yeah you've left us.
0: I've left you. that's right
1: <laughs> um, and you know we haven't gotten that Kickstarter to make it a monthly uh trip.
0: <laughs> see that's right people yeah. want it want it want it to be face to face that's so uh so badly that they're willing to uh pay somebody's plane fare, yes, for an exchange program probably mine <laughs> so I was this afternoon I was watching uh a conference. That's happening right now in Washington, D.C. called the Future of uh, Music Conference or Summit. Mm-hmm. And uh, on one panel was the musician Jill Solbule. Are you aware of her?
1: She, she kissed a girl.
0: She kissed a girl. That's before right. Before Katy Perry did. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And um, she was talking about she, – she did a Kickstarter before there was a Kickstarter uh, platform in order – to crowdfund uh, an album after she was out of money, basically was talking a bit about that. But then she talked about that it would be a great idea that if people could just donate frequent flyer miles to musicians.
1: Oh, that's a good idea. They have, you can, you can donate them to like charity, this charity, like, uh, I'm, I'm I only vaguely remember cause I was looking at it, but like, if kids have to go for a surgery in another town or something, you can donate it to that, which is, I think, also a great idea. Um, but, yeah, that was the first time I ever saw something like that where it's like, oh, yeah, you could probably have things that aren't money that other people need.
0: Like frequent flyer miles. So, you know, yes. people could donate those to us as well. We're not a charity. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you won't get anything for it from the IRS. But that, that's sort of a corrupt system anyway. It's true. It's I mean, correct. you could
1: probably say that you donated it to charity and they probably won't check.
0: Until <laughs> you get audited, nobody checks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I have, a, I have a shady accountant if you need one. <laughs> we have a podcast accountant.
0: <laughs> you do. I don't.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to say he's the official accountant of our podcast.
0: Okay. I have to find one. I just made him
1: that way. Yeah, I, his I... name is Cash. So his real name is Cash. So <sighs> to me, that's, that's really all you need in an accountant.
0: Just like Dan Benjamin's son, who actually his right. real name isn't Cash, but his, his
1: real name is not Cash.
0: His uh, his nickname is Cash. So, um, have you been anywhere? So, you travel. You've been traveling quite a bit more than I have. You, have you been anywhere recently, or uh, since our last recording? Since we last
1: recorded, no, I don't think I have been. But I'm about to go to uh, DC and Baltimore, and then New York, and possibly Philadelphia. But I don't know about that yet or oh. possibly Boston. I don't know.
0: A, a true eastern seaboard or uh, yeah, northeastern are a whole tour, uh, tour there. <laughs> you are going east quite a bit this year cuz you've already been out to Florida, North Carolina.
1: I guess I don't cons- not not to be all several podcasts ago, but I don't really consider Florida the east coast.
0: No, I mean it I mean it's <laughs> maybe not regionally but it is in fact sure. on the eastern seaboard and on the Atlantic Ocean. So. Sure.
1: I, well, I also went to San Diego in California, so I'm just all over the place.
0: You're just all over the damn place. It's uh, true.
1: Well, I'm trying to get all the 50 states, and
0: okay. now I only have seven left. Well, you going to need to shoot for all the countries, like, uh, what's that, that guy? Uh, there's a blogger who did that. Yes.
1: There's 190-something. Yeah. I've only been to, like, five, so. Yeah, I'm,
0: I'm way <laughs> behind as well. I haven't been to that <laughs> many.
1: That is also my Kickstarter that you can donate to. <laughs> Your frequent flyer miles.
0: You <laughs> need a lot of those. I actually I just flew on frequent flyer miles for the first time in a long time. That was very nice. Well, not to pay uh, too much money to go. I went to uh, Brooklyn College and to NGIT. I was in Newark and Brooklyn visiting uh, some classes, talking about radio and, and FCC policy. And uh, and also seeing my brother and my folks,
1: and you had a brush with fame.
0: I had a brush with oh yes, that's right. At an Applebee's, I, I was able to. Uh, I dined with Liz Winstead at an Applebee's. Did you personally Flatbush. dine
1: with her, or was she like in another booth?
0: No, uh, she was at a table because she was with the same folks I was with.
1: Oh, I see. I see.
0: So there, there had been a um, an event at Brooklyn College that evening. Uh, they call Media Night. And it was in their radio, television, film department. And uh, they had panelists talking about different issues and careers and communication of different sorts. And not, she was on a panel. Star Wars way. Um, and um, uh, It would be dandy if you'd make our podcast a, at uh, iTunes adjunct. or Stitcher. Oh, he's not an he's a, you can even be like Steve Jobs and take all the credit. That's fine with us. We will be and uh, Johnny she came Ive. And Just, she's quite she's quite nice, you, quite nice, quite polite. Um you leave a review, huh? Not not at now, all uh too struck with her own uh fame or celebrity even if it's comparatively, you know, small celebrity compared to say John Stewart or something.
1: And for people who don't sure.
0: know, she is the uh creator of the uh of the Daily Show and had a book out, I don't know, earlier this year, last year. Yes. Uh with sort of anecdotes from her life as a comedian and uh show creator and comedy writer. So uh, she she was very, very popular with the students. Uh, amongst the, the people on the panel, she got the most questions. About after, The Daily Show? Um, yeah, and about all sorts of things, about her approach to doing what it is she does. But yeah, about The Daily Show as well. And um, as it turns out, there in uh, near Brooklyn College in Flatbush, Brooklyn, uh, there aren't a lot of restaurants, especially restaurants of the sort where um, you might go at like nine o'clock at night and get some food and drinks. So Applebee's is where you go.
1: I have to say that though I've lived in New York, if you asked me where Flatbush was on the map, I don't think I could tell you.
0: It's at It's at the end of the two. So it's okay. a, the, the it's the Somewhere very last I stop on the so. 2. That's what I can tell you. Um yeah, it's it's fine. Brooklyn College is quite nice. And the student I really enjoyed meeting and talking with some of the students. And uh so that was a it was a fun journey. Actually, I and I received a very nice follow-up message from one of the students um by email. You're changing
1: what, lives is what you're saying.
0: I'm changing lives? I don't know about uh-huh. that. But um <laughs> Uh, maybe not for the positive. We'll see.
1: <laughs> You're like, quit school. Don't yeah. do things. Well, it's interesting because they're,
0: they're redoing their program there at uh, at Brooklyn College in journalism. And so they're really trying to – they're building in a very critical analysis of journalism as a profession and what's happened in the media industry in the last 25 to 30 years. So students are getting a pretty – a very raw – um, history and understanding of what's happened, which I think is a little unusual in journalism programs still, and they're really trying to train students, you know, in new media technologies and you know, get them understanding what it will mean to be a journalist, or helping, or or actually not even get them understand, but get them to themselves explore what it will mean to be a journalist um, now, basically without. Selling them you know these sort of well, if you just work hard enough you know you 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 could still get that job at at cBS or nBC or or you know the Wall Street Journal New York Times, and I don't think Brooklyn college is telling the students that they won't they're just trying to really give them a little bit more of the reality of like you know it isn't like it was twenty five years ago when you know the journalism professors who you would meet at other uh, big journalism schools were journalists <laughs> it's you know and i i it's really cool. And so the class I was uh, guest lecturing in, uh, my friend uh, John Anderson is now teaching there. He, um, it's a broadcast journalism class, but he really kind of goes over how journalism, especially broadcast journalism, has been deconstructed in the last 25 years you know, and, and uh, turned into a profit center rather than something which uh, networks did for the purpose of public service. And uh, so, as po- I was there to an extent to talk a little bit about independent uh, media and sort of my experience in in the, in the media movement, and now what I try to do, what I've tried to do in radio and other other ventures. And as part of that, though, I I said to the students, that I thought that they were getting a very good education um, from the folks at Brooklyn College had been able to talk to because of the fact that they're hearing how things really are, rather than how a bunch of old white guys wish they were or still think they are because that's the way it was when they were young, you know, college students. And said, you know, you know, that that's not the thing that's even necessarily being taught at more prestigious and well-known journalism schools because those are still being taught by the old white guys who, you know, as it is with I think higher education still, you know, or especially when it comes to, you know, people who want to go to graduate school and become professors, you hear, well, you know, but if you still work hard enough, you'll get that coveted, um, you'll get that coveted tenure track position in history or English literature or whatever it is at the good research one or really great, you know, liberal arts teaching college when the, the, the sheer numbers, the statistics don't bear that out. You know, that there just simply aren't that many jobs that everybody who would be ostensibly, you know, deserving um, is not going to get that. The meritocracy is broken, even if if, if it ever existed. Um, and so I, I gave them that message and said that they were actually lucky, you know, to be at Brooklyn College and learning this stuff. And I got this nice email from a student who said, you know, thank you very much for reassuring us that we made a good decision to go to Brooklyn College because we often feel like because we're not going to some more named school, you know, be it like Columbia or NYU or, or or something much more expensive private university, that we're that we're doing ourselves a disservice. And you know, it's good to hear that we are we may still be getting a good education here, which was nice. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I recently had a similar conversation about that end part um, with someone who's trying to go to library school and if they need to go to a name, library school. And I guess it's just so funny to me that, like, people still are conned into the, like, you have to go to a name school. I mean, I'm sure there are certain things in which you still have to go to a name school. But, like, in reality, most things are experience-based. And definitely, if you go to a name school, you'll probably meet, like fancier types who will have money and have awesome jobs and awesome nepotistic situations to help you get into. Um, but it was just, it was just hilarious to me that someone was very concerned about this. It really makes me
0: angry. Actually, It, it having worked in higher education uh, for too long and now not working there, um, the, the elitism and the, and the, uh, the ideology of a meritocracy, when the reality there is there, it, it is broken, if it exists at all. Um, it, it, you know, America's plus, real broken. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> but you know, in particular about around higher about education, right? Uh, it, I get really upset because, right, to hear from these students who are who you know, many of whom are are first generation going to college in their families at some place like Brooklyn College. And one of the great things about Brooklyn College is a very inexpensive place to go to college if you're a resident of New York City. That's the whole point of it being there, is to provide a good four year education to students from New York City. And, you know, for them to feel like, well, you know, that they're not that they're starting off still, you know, with with a strike against them, you know, is 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 really is disheartening because the point of education to me is the you know, the opportunity to figure out what you want to do and to become good at it. Um and not the idea that you necessarily are buying admission like a ticket into something down the line, you know, because there's plenty of students who who do well at Princeton or Harvard and fuck up later in life and don't and aren't well, able to get in as well.
1: And I think it's sort of it still is part of that idea that like what you go to school for as an undergraduate is going to be relevant to your career right and and just
0: <laughs> I mean, I think the research bears out that that's not true and if you speak to enough people in in almost any line of work, you know whether it is they are professors or librarians or entrepreneurs or you know people in it. It doesn't bear out. I don't know. I mean, I know so many people working in IT who have liberal arts degrees, for instance. You know, who are server administrators, etc. Because they didn't need to learn computer science to do most of that stuff. They just had to have an aptitude and a seriousness. Um, but but the idea that somehow if you you know don't go to Harvard or you don't go to one of the top ten research universities or top ten. You know, colleges, you know, liberal arts colleges that, that you just simply won't succeed in life is just bullshit. And, pe- and, and, and it makes me angry because people mortgage themselves and mortgage their future, both parents and, and students, to do these things. And it doesn't mean it isn't great to go to a great school, because I do think in many cases, great colleges and universities have a lot to offer because of the money they have, because of the resources in terms of student life. In terms of uh, often career development and counseling and all these things, it's really true, right? I'm, I'm not going to say that any of that is untrue or doesn't exist or it's worthless or stupid. Um, but you also at that age have to be mature enough or directed enough to take advantage of it as well. Because if you're still well, just gonna party, going to show up and party, you're not going to do it. Yeah.
1: This, yeah, so that's not even – like, I get if you buy into that if you're a first-generation American who no one in your family has gone to college. Like, um, you know, that's sort of who it's set up, I think, not to trick, but, like, that's definitely the idea is, like, go to a name school. That's why we came here, you know. Um, but this was someone who was American-born and was, like, in their 30s going to grad school. And the idea that that's still a prevalent idea um, is amazing to me. I mean – and. I get why it is. It's not, uh, you know, it's not a shock. That's how schools make money. But um, it's very prevalent. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you just, all you need
0: to do is open up, you know, the education section, of New York Times, or the opinion section, especially around the time when uh, students are applying in, in, to colleges and hearing back. You know, in the spring, it's 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 rampant. The the sense of you know needing to get into the right school. Or else, you know. Otherwise, you know. By the time you're 22, if you don't go to the right <laughs> school, your whole life is just ruined. It's just
1: over, and well, and that the that Harvard is the right school for everyone. Oh, <laughs> Jesus like, Christ, you know?
0: or or pick pick, it, pick the school, whichever. Right, exactly. It's just I
1: didn't even know this was a hobby horse, Fierce. This is amazing.
0: <laughs> that I
1: well, I mean, I <laughs> that think you're like truly angry. <laughs>
0: yeah, I am because <laughs> I know enough people who are who have taken on serious debt and yeah. haven't finished. Yeah, because often because the debt got in the way after a while to go to a very particular school for a very particular reason. And then, you know, life gets in the way or, you know, doesn't turn out the way you thought it would or a number of things happen. And then and now, you know, you don't even have a degree and you're crippled with a one hundred thousand dollars of debt or more, you know, when maybe the better thing was would have been to try out, you know, community college or a commuter school and, you know, risk a lot less money because you could always yeah. transfer down the line, you know, amongst many other options. And, and and none of this is perfect because community colleges have suffered a lot of funding crises in the last five to ten years as well, making it more difficult for students who want to go there to go and community colleges being, you know, over uh, overcrowded and things like that. So it's there's no, you know, golden panacea here, but. Yeah, uh, yeah, it does. It gets me because, and also because I, I, you know, I worked at an elite university for a while. Um, and on the one hand, I could see how the students who were prepared to take advantage of what was there to offer really benefited and did very well. Like I could see how that worked, and I could see that it, it was worthwhile. But I could also see how there were students who graduated, you know, with a lot of debt, who went to the school because they got in right, and whose parents said, "Oh my gosh, if you get into." x school you you have to go you you have you have to go right you you know and i'll say i mean
1: my mom my mom still thinks that because i have a master's degree i could get literally any job
0: (laughs) you can any job job, that's
1: not how that works but i i think like you know she doesn't even have a high school diploma from america so like she's like what that's so much education
0: yeah Yeah, and i'm not shitting on a, a good degree, or a good program. <laughs> from a, you know, I'm not shitting on going to a school. I mean, if if you can make it work in a way that doesn't that doesn't also set you up already in the hole for hundreds of thousands of dollars, do it. Right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I can't, you know, I'm not. It's not my intention to tell anyone that it's that that Harvard is stupid. That's that's not it so much as it's that it's
1: very beautiful.
0: Yeah, and it, it won't necessarily <laughs> make or break you for life. You know, I mean, if you want to be a surgeon, you probably really need to go to medical school, right? Yeah. Your master's degree in library science isn't going to hack it. I need it. to do that, yeah. But for, I think, you know, a uh, number I'm pulling out of my ass, 80% of the professions out there, you really don't need to have a particularly specific degree. And so it more matters that you have an interest and an ability to excel at what it is uh, you want to do. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, so anyway, it was very nice to hear from a student that they appreciated my message that by selecting Brooklyn College they were setting them perhaps giving themselves a, a step forward as well and that they weren't wasting their time and their money. Um I can't imagine that they would be. But I guess sometimes you need to hear it from somebody who isn't from Brooklyn College.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I think you definitely. I mean, especially as a college student at the age you are in college, you're kind of like, huh, mm-hmm. no one's really telling me what to do, and I kind of need some. Right, I think you're right. College, so.
0: So that's what I spent uh, spent some time doing, and also I went to. I did. It's part. I went to uh, something called the Radio Vision Festival, that was put on by uh, WFMU, which is a. Uh, commer- uh, community radio station out of Jersey city, well known for being free form and very kind of eclectic, but because they're in the New York area, they have a fairly big listenership and they've become fairly influential, um, in some areas of music and culture, um, as a result of their longstanding, uh, longstanding, I don't know, innovation, um, and have continued to be kind of, when it comes to non-commercial radio, they were ahead of the game in almost every turn when it came to using the internet. Uh, to serve more listeners in more interesting ways.
1: Although I would say that their website makes it look like it's still 1998.
0: That, that is funny because they actually <laughs> came up. They had um, Alexis Ohanian, who is a, a co-founder of Reddit, and he's now on a book tour. And uh, he, he gave uh, – not, not really a keynote, but he gave a, a presentation. And uh, he kind of mentioned how Reddit still kind of sucks when it comes to graphic design, but that doesn't seem to hurt it too much when it comes to uh, overall hits. And uh, Ken Friedman, who is the station manager of WFMU, was doing kind of Q&A with him. And he says, I'm glad to hear that because certainly we get criticized for our website looking like it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really still terrible. the 1990s. But it works, right? I mean, it's it's functional. Uh, you know, it's pretty easy to find what you want, actually, um, even if it's not uh, – even if it's not the cutting edge of web design. It is not, but it was one of the first places where, I mean, and they've been doing this for a long time where you can go and listen to just about any program that's been on the last like 10 years on demand. And they've, they've been doing that again for like 10 years where, you know, and that's something which most stations still don't or can't do, um, for a number of reasons. So, um, They're pretty cool. And it was was interesting to go. It was was, some interesting discussions. Um, There's one about podcasting. uh, um, uh, It was hosted by uh, uh, Tom Sharpling, who does a show on WFMU called The Best Show on WFMU. He's a screenwriter as well. And uh, uh, Jake Fogelnest was on it, as well as uh, Julie Klausner, both uh, comedians. and. podcasters. I wrote it up for Radio Survivor so we can just put that in the show notes and uh, okay. people can people can go read what I had to say. Julie Klausner's great quote was um, someone asked what advice does she have for NPR programs and particular ones that are podcasts and she said, "Well, they need to have more dirt bags on there." <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> okay. I think she she basically meant NPR can still Comedians? be a little can be still a little stuffy and a little, you know, little tucked in compared to uh all the other podcasts
1: yeah
0: (laughs) so that's how i that's how i spent a a week now i've been back here in portland for a week um getting back into the swing of things such as it is
1: yes i'm going for taxonomy boot camp oh okay and i'm also just going to baltimore because i've never been to baltimore
0: so you're you're keeping up in your ostensible profession then
1: I well yeah, I got asked to be on a panel.
0: Oh.
1: Um that's ironically called the curious lives of full time taxonomists. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not making it. The curious lives of
0: unemployed taxonomists. (laughs) Yeah, and I was like, That's
1: that has never been less applicable to me. (laughs) And he's like, Yeah, but your whole life or well, your whole career you've been a full time taxonomist. I said, Okay. As opposed to like someone who freelances.
0: Got it, got it. What is the um who puts that on? the taxonomy bootcamp
1: um that's a good question i can it's see not their, important i can see their logo it's well it's the one that i saw you at
0: oh so it's information today
1: it is information today okay
0: yes who i write for one of their subsidiaries streamingmedia.com on occasion so when i need a little extra scratch
1: yes km world information KM today km
0: world yes Right. See,
1: highly corporate, like, and everyone, there's, you know, um, a lot of people trying to sell you so- really expensive software, like $100,000 software. Mm-hmm. It's pretty excellent.
0: But you get to go to uh, Baltimore in the middle well, D- of- Well, it's
1: in D.C., oh, but in DC. Uh, yeah, so I'm, which I like, but, you know, I go to pretty much every year, so. Okay. I'm trying to hit all the weird museums I have not hit before.
0: Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of them. You'll have to report yeah. back on that.
1: It's a convenient city to have it in.
0: Yeah, it's easy to reason. get around. I mean, you can. It's easy to get around both by metro and by walking. Even it's. Well,
1: beautiful. I guess I mean because like even though you go there every year, there's like still stuff to see. Oh yeah,
0: yeah too.
1: Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. So, um, so I've been watching a lot of Baltimore-themed things. <laughs> I've been, uh, yeah, watching some Lots of John Waters Wire. movies. Well, I actually tried to watch The Wire, and then I moved on to Homicide.
0: Oh, yes. Homicide. It's a good show.
1: It is good. I Yeah. <laughs> I want more Munch, because I'm a, a Law <laughs> & Order fan.
0: And you just yeah. retired from SVU.
1: I know. It was a great episode. Um. So, yeah. That's also spurred me back into a Homicide, because I was like, ah munch is no longer on television apparently it's the longest running character on television Hmm. and he's been on more programs than as the same character than any other person
0: right because he yeah they had a lot of crossover he's also been
1: on like x files as as john munch and like (laughs) five other programs oh like 30 rock yeah it's kind of crazy it's an interesting character so hmm
0: cool so, uh, one of the things we were discussing before we started recording here was, um, sort of the topic of discipline and yes. g- sort of getting shit done. And, but we were also rubbing that up against, uh, the life of Lou Reed and the life of uh, Steve Jobs. As we're recording, Lou Reed has just died. It'll be a little old news by the time you, uh, our audience hears this and, um, Steve Jobs has been dead a while already, but uh, I just recently finished reading the the biography of him.
1: And I got bored and stopped reading it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: it, it was good. Um, I mean, it's not a groundbreaking book by any means. It's breezy. It's easy to read. i don't, not sure there's a lot of insight to be had, except that he was an asshole. <laughs> and what's your take on that, Jenny?
1: Well, and my response to that was like, yeah... Maybe for the people in his life, he was an asshole, but, like, that doesn't really matter to me because I get the genius side of his work, like, and that's why Lou Reed came up, in in that, like, when Lou Reed died, Lou Lou Reed's music is very instrumental to my life. I feel like he's one of my guys. And, um, like, I know he's an asshole. Like, I know people who have met him and been like, whoa, he's a total asshole. But... I don't ever have to experience that. Like, I don't hang out with Lou Reed. So it doesn't really, that part doesn't really matter to me because, and not that it doesn't matter, but it's not part of my current consciousness of the person. And likewise with Steve Jobs, you know, like how big of an asshole he was is minimized to me because he did all this awesome stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with that assessment. Um, One, I will say, having never met Lou Reed or Steve Jobs, I get the sense that Lou Reed, especially maybe his later years, was more irascible than an asshole. Um, And the the difference being that it seems like Steve Jobs actively went out of his way to manipulate people and to treat them poorly and to make them feel bad about themselves. (laughs) (laughs) And and often would not, you know, forsake an opportunity to do so Um, and could be petty and uh, and also at the same time. I'd throw amazing fits and cry and, and literally cry um, in, in part to manipulate other people. And I don't ever, I mean, again, I and maybe I need to find a good uh, biography of uh, Lou Reed. I've never heard Lou Reed quite engaging in that behavior so much as that I would say, yeah, he's a little bit irascible, meaning, you know, he's going to let you know what he thinks. He's going to be very upfront about it, but it's going to be up to you to push it. And if you push well, it, I think he's going to tell you what you're going to get out of it, but you also have the option not to push it.
1: I think he there is definitely a public uh, embarrassment angle to Lou Reed as well.
0: Okay. But uh, it, I mean, it's it's sort of, you know, one of my favorite re- Lou Reed records is Take No Prisoners Live. So it's a, it's a two record set recorded in the late 70s. And it's often called, somewhat dismissively, Lou Reed's stand-up comedy record, because... <laughs> He spends a lot of time talking and a lot of time um you know giving the audience a hard time but he is answering them like he's he's dealing with hecklers and he's he's responding to to being pushed he's not picking people out and picking on them right it's all a matter of
1: it's it's responsive but then it's like out of I, I think it's it's out of proportion, I guess, is what I would... Maybe from what,
0: maybe or maybe not, you know? I mean, because... And, that, that, and I guess that's... that's I mean, I, I'm not entirely sure, because... Um,
1: the recent WTF with John Cale K- seems to state that. Okay. It's like someone would heckle them on the street playing instruments, and then he would just eviscerate them. Okay. <laughs> in a way that was like, okay... But, but I mean, John Cale was talking about it positively. <laughs> he was right. like, it was amazing to watch. Well, <laughs> and... and, and, and
0: that's why I, I, I mean I would use that word irascible because I mean it's I think that maybe the question is provocation right um, and I'm not going to defend uh, it but it's it, it, on the one hand it's sort of the, the proportion versus uh, you know Steve Jobs would just go out and and at least people he knew he would just he would just target them and go at them right <laughs> not really provoked <laughs> you know or or he would feel provoked but not in a way that. Most other people in the world would feel provoked in that circumstance,
1: right? But don't you think that's in kind of part of why he's good at what he did?
0: You know, but that's the problem I have, isn't? Because then what it, what what happens? It's excusable, it, yeah. It, because it, there's the cult of Jobs, which is kind of you know simmered down now that the book has been out a while. But after he died, and when the book came out, just all this like less you know leadership lessons from Steve Jobs and how to be more like Jobs and whatever and. Sure, you know I'm not going to argue about how good many of the products he made were, and how much of a an effect that had on, you know, really what our world is, especially in any way that's mediated by by computers and consumer devices. I, I'm not going to argue that point, but what it does is it it sets up this this false premise that. That's what you need to do in order to produce those kind of results, right? See, it's a, it's the same argument that like, well, capitalism is clearly the best system out there because look <laughs> at all the great things it does for us right now.
1: Well, and I guess I, get the, I, I totally agree that that is what came out of that book. But when I read it, I felt what I got more out of it was like – this isn't a repeatable thing Mm -hmm. this person just had so much passion for these specific things and was so good at talking people into stuff like that whole charm aspect Mm -hmm. i mean i guess uh the first half of the book is really all about like i mean it's just such a uh, it reminded me of sort of a video game where the main character goes and collects this one item he needs for his quest and then (laughs) you know he goes to the apple farm and he learns how to be a charismatic leader and then he goes to this place and he learns about um, calligraphy, which leads to his love of fonts, and then he goes to, the you know, Waz and he learns this stuff about electronic. Like, I guess it seemed like one person's mind who collected all these experiences was the only way that this thing could have happened. Not so much that it was a repeatable thing. Um, which is part of the reason I liked it, actually. But, um...
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was written from the standpoint of that it was repeatable. I agree with you there. But... You know. Also, the other part that that I think comes on the book, but is not well fleshed out, or 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 it's not made very clear, is he also was surrounded himself with people actively who would tolerate his bullshit, tolerate <laughs> his meanness, and it was meanness, and from whom he could steal ideas. <laughs> Because he did steal them you know he built a team uh at various points of his life which included his family right it took him a while to find you know a wife who would put up with his bullshit as well who you know and and there's there's some discussion towards the end of the book that it seems like his children has, uh got the short end of the stick in many cases of his time and his attention particularly his daughters um his son arguably got more attention You know, that everyone kind of paid a price to be around Steve Jobs and to be involved with him. And some of them felt that the reward was worth it, I guess.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I get the again, I get the impression from that book that it was like, well, because I might have this awesome technical idea, but I have no way to make it happen Mm -hmm. without someone who is able to get this done. Yeah. And and.
0: Again I mean it happened right I mean and so i'm not I'm not going to argue with with the facts what the problem is I think again trying to take these lessons away from it and it doesn't mean we shouldn't take some lessons away from it, but looking for that magic sauce right the magic ingredients for how as Steve Jobs did, you can do too as an entrepreneur or creative or, or something like that and That notion of, you know, we should permit people to be assholes because the results are good. And and I've been around enough people, I've been around enough organizations that were permissive of that for that very same reason. Um, And generally when they were permissive of that, what gets lost in that ethos and what gets lost in in that uh, ideology is the contribution – of the, you know, five to 50 other people who aren't being assholes and are really are contributing quite a bit, but for but are willing to, to sort of be in line behind whoever that great leader is.
1: Well, it's interesting because the, the tech side of things, um, the response to the book was super negative because they felt it. Dwell too much on his being an asshole and not enough on how technically awesome the stuff he did was, Mm -hmm. and how like it's sort of the opposite of exactly what you're saying. Was you know, and part of that is the cult of jobs sort of thing, but um, the idea that it is totally it is totally permissible, and I feel like that's such a uh, statement about you know technology and working in technology that it is it is sort of something you accept when you work in technology or not, you know, maybe you don't, but <laughs> I don't, right. but I mean, I think it is, it's seemingly an an ex- un- expected thing. And, and I recently, there's been this spate of, of things coming out of the tech community. That's like, this is ridiculous. Mm. How can you allow this to happen? And it's like, well, this person is, you know, good at technology, so it doesn't matter, you know, and kind of like terrible sexism and um, just sort of, uh, asshole behavior.
0: Right. I mean, and um, if you allow it, it will happen, right? And if you allow it, 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 people will be encouraged to behave like that and rewarded for behaving like that. And the only time it doesn't is when your culture doesn't permit it. And and I think you, you see some folks in, in some sectors of tech speaking out, people of po- people who have power and are saying, no, that's not good, that we, we won't permit that. And I, I, I see a growing chorus, but you know, but it's it's not just true in tech. I mean, it's true in just about every segment of of the economy, from the nonprofit sector to the for profit sector. You've either these excuses made for people who may have a particular talent and ability to express it, but who are then given license to to be really to be really shitty to other people. In some cases, in ways that are sort of minor or strictly emotional or in other cases in ways that are material you know in in which you know other people's livelihoods (laughs) are are threatened you know for me of course on the other side i i say to somebody good well don't work for an asshole don't fucking do it right that's the ultimate power you have is to walk away
1: but there's some industries where that's endemic like there's not really an option like i'm just thinking of people i know who were assistants in hollywood no sure the whole system is everyone is an asshole to their assistant, yeah. and that's how you move up in that world. Um,
0: then, then, I mean, I guess the goal – I mean, I guess to me then it's then why do you want to work in an industry where that is necessary? And I think we well, – any one person has to ask themselves that question.
1: Well, but ideally, once you become in their position, you would not be an asshole, right? Ideally. To change it.
0: Ideally, right. But that's <laughs> – Right. Sure. It's the whole change on the inside. But right. if that were true, then it would have changed. You think at some point somebody who wasn't an asshole <laughs> would have had enough power not to change it. Sure. Look, I mean, we we hear about the, the edge cases, the CEOs say, like where it's a company like Costco, right, which gets held up for, you know, the CEO takes – a relatively small salary compared to uh, his peers in other areas of retail. They pay better on average, they get better benefits and things like this. It, you know, and and it's, it's 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 an edge case of somebody who is able to climb to the top or start a company and stay there and not be an asshole because the actual norm is to be an asshole.
1: <laughs> right, but there are companies that definitely I mean I, I think all of these industries we talked about tech and, you know, Hollywood and CEO, major management of companies are, you know, uh, non, say, women-friendly. Exactly, right. They're, they're, <laughs> they're
0: sexist and they're paternalistic and right. they are in some cases misogynist. yeah
1: Right, so I feel like um, – so I get why someone would want to work in one of those situations to change it from the inside. But I think there are great examples in all of those cases of – you know, parallel structures that are successful, like uh, Zappos is a good example of, like, no one's an asshole, we, like, same thing, like, you just mentioned, like, Costco, Uh, you know, we're, it's a super open hierarchy, that sort of thing. Um, So, I mean, I can see you can still be successful within those paradigms and be not an asshole.
0: Oh, I, and I'm not saying that you can't and change it. No, I, but I think exactly. I tend to come down on the side of then if you really don't want to be an asshole, it, it means don't tolerate it. And if that means going somewhere else where you people are nicer, frankly, and more respectful, <laughs> um, or creating your own organization, creating your own business where that's true, then that's what it really should be, right? I mean, that's it to me. It's also the the do it yourself mentality it's in it is the pull your, you know it is go try and make something better you know you don't have to suffer somebody else's um, being a dick you you can go and do something different and whether you're working at a small nonprofit or you're working in a large corporation um, that that's you know the encouragement I would say and and uh, and that's you know why I, I get annoyed at, at looking for the the magic and the magic formula with, with these people, uh, whether, you know, like a Steve Jobs, because, right, you're not going to reproduce it because you probably will not find that number of people willing to put up with you being such a dick to them most of the time. And
1: you're probably not on the auspices of like a giant societal situation. Yeah, right. <laughs> the right place at the
0: right time is not to be discounted.
1: Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college. But it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever, because believing
0: that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your path,
1: even when it leads you off the well-known path, and not to make the
0: difference. Oh, hi. Uh, you've reached the halfway point of Jenny and Paul's sellout, episode 24. Uh, This is Paul here to remind you that you can comment on anything you hear on this episode at our website, selloutpodcast.com. Or you can use that newfangled social media. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash selloutpodcast. Or follow us on the Twitters at at selloutpodcast. At, at, but um, not in the Star Wars kind of way. Um hey, it would be dandy if you would rate our podcast at iTunes or Stitcher. You can even be like Steve Jobs and take all of the credit when you leave a review. Um, that's fine with us as, as as long as you leave a review. It really helps. Now, back to the show. The part that I think is also after reading the book that, you know, to some extent I think Steve Jobs, you know, was admired for his discipline, Right you know and so his his attention to certain uh his attention to detail to design to customer experience but if you read the book i mean a few things that you can also pull out are he was wrong quite a bit <laughs> right and and so there are things that he was wrong about what that you know we know about like uh products that didn't that flopped or you know Your services Newtons. they offered well he and he wasn't responsible for the Newton but um like the uh the the cube the G4 cube yeah Right Which I loved and, that right, but it was a flop in terms of a product totally right, and then there's mobile me, which was also an enormous flop, and there's quite a few things, but he was also somebody who couldn 't buy furniture because he could never make up his damn mind and you know, and also who again was kind of a shitty parent because he couldn 't both sort of pay attention to his kids and do things at work, right, so you know he might have had this laser like focus at times, but it also meant that. He wasn't doing a damn other thing, and that's a luxury. How many of us have that kind of luxury? Well, but in our I would say that isn't that? disciplined. That you would say what?
1: That isn't disciplined. Right. Like I mean, I guess I that doesn't to me prove that discipline is not, not a useful thing. It just says to me that he's probably not that disciplined. Or I mean, he was interested in what he was interested in and raising children was clearly not one of those things. Yeah,
0: but, that, but he had them, right? I mean, you know, he, had, right. he, he had 50% control in that, in that particular enterprise. <laughs> um, so, you know, and, and, uh, you know, obviously his, his wife understood that and was willing to deal with the consequences of it uh, for whatever she got out of the deal. But, you know, and I wasn't there, it's not mine to decide or even to judge, but I, I think, you know, it's worth taking note of that. You know, and also you also hear a little bit some of some of his top employees, someone like uh like Johnny Ive, uh sort of admit that there were times when, you know, they they would tell him the same thing a couple times and get different answers, and they would just rely on it. <laughs> yeah. And there was a little bit of disobedience built in there, and I've reported the bosses like that too. Which again kind of starts to drain some of the the magic out of out of the jobs legend uh, because of the fact that maybe he was didn't have quite the level of control that even he thought he had or that the legend would 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 uh, assign to him um, you know and that you know there was quite a bit of dysfunction in that person and, 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 yeah. and you know and in how he lived his life and and how it might have hurt his health. In the end um, and might not have helped him in, in with in the end when he, when he was diagnosed with cancer because he wouldn't go for surgery and wanted to try and cure it with diet and other things um, and thought he could will his way basically out of having cancer.
1: But I mean, again, I don't – there's not a lot of people in our culture, whether it's business or music or art, that are considered both a genius and like a really good at doing normal things kind of person person
0: yeah you know like, <laughs> and that's unfortunate i mean and so and i'm not willing to say that that's an, that, that there's anything inherent about that right mike i mean i'm going to say why why is that the case um is because it-
1: i think in order to do that sort of large scale genius type of thing you have to sort of be i mean at least this is the common idea you have to do something that other people would not have done you have to like do something that's essentially crazy yeah. In order to.
0: I, oh yeah, I'm familiar with that argument, but I, I I still think it's worth asking why. Why is it necessary to do that? Um, you know, because it's it's not without context. This isn't happening in a vacuum, right? It, it it's a complex of societal values, and economy and politics, right? At the very least, um, which which all create that mix and that context in which one, we say someone has to do that, and two, valorize it, right? We 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 valorize it either directly saying, well, you know, that's what you have to do, or we valorize it by saying, well, the results were worth it. And, I, you know, as somebody who would like to live a balanced life, but also maybe do some interesting things and accomplish something, you know, and I, I'm not going to say that, you know, of, of a genius level, whatever that means, but I'd like to do something, <laughs> um and useful and and that contributes why should why is it that i would have to dedicate myself in a sort of maniacal way often at the expense of other people's feelings in my relationships in order to do so i it's it, well, i don't know what the answer is i think know where it just answer. doesn't make
1: a good story you know i think that's why it's told that way well, i mean fuck I think, stories. yeah i know but i mean i think there are example i mean i think warren buffett i don't know a ton about him but that seems like a pretty uh i mean he seems like a good guy he raised his kids like they had to just like normal kids Mm -hmm. like he seems very attentive to them um he lives in a really normal house though he's like the richest man ever um in omaha you know he didn't choose to like leave his business and go somewhere else it just seems like that's what he's really into and he's really good at it and like he seems like a good you know a real normal guy yeah um and that and that's yeah,
0: you know, putting aside any you know, the any uh, criticism of what he actually does for a living. But yes, right, right. There's somebody who many people consider a genius. But we can't have you know but as long as we can either valorize the people who aren't the Warren Buffett's, who are the Steve Jobs <laughs> or the Larry Allisons, the Bill Gates for that matter, um then well, it's an incomplete picture. Example.
1: Of, of of that too where I don't think that people think he's an asshole oh I people mean, thought
0: no, oh, yeah I mean it, it just it's faded Microsoft is a notoriously awful place to work yeah it's true um, you know I mean that's that's probably as much Balmer's credit at this point it is, as it is um, you know to be laid at, uh, at Gates feet but um, no I mean he was considered quite an asshole but yeah he yeah. stepped down so no everyone's thinking of the Gates Foundation and I'm not you know and again it's great that he wants to do that, but you know it's not not at least a little bit like say Carnegie you know who you know and the robber barons who who made sure to clean up their names in history by creating foundations with all the money that they made breaking unions and raping the environment <laughs> sure, and i and I'm not accusing uh uh Gates of raping the environment. <laughs>
1: He's trying to help the malaria. (laughs) He's just trying Um, to help the malaria. Actually, he's not trying to help the malaria. He's trying to (laughs) fight the malaria. Do you think it's a distinctly American uh, story?
0: I don't know enough about other countries. I mean, I would say it's Anglo-American at the very least because I think that there's a similar – I think we share that with the Brits
1: because they also were assholes who colonized places.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. No, and their business culture my understanding is also similar. Be, yeah, fairly cutthroat and and sexist, etc. So, you know, Well,
1: I think we share sexism with like pretty much every other culture. Pretty much
0: all know. the other <laughs> yeah right. paternalistic cultures, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: so yeah, I think maybe the British but I honestly just don't know about other business cultures enough to be able to to say that I think it's it's the same or different.
1: Well, but it's not even just business. I mean, it's the founding of America is a lot of assholes, right? Right, and
0: yeah, exactly. You know, and and it is the the hero worship and and it is that individualistic impulse, right? And, and which
1: arts, w- yeah, we all
0: share in some way, shape, or form. And I'm I'm pretty individualistic in my outlook. I'll admit that. Um, I guess though, I, I, there's a certain And I don't know the right word to put it. It's not egalitarianism, I don't think. But I also very much think it's not individualistic in a lot of ways to be holding up your Steve Jobs, your Bill Gates, or your Thomas Jeffersons up as such idols either. I think idolatry is a really damaging um, phenomenon.
1: Um, Why?
0: Because in an anti-individualistic way, it's putting someone up above yourself right it, it, because it and it, and it strips them of of their humanity in a way but in a way which i think is against our own best interests uh, as individuals right when we when we i idolize uh, steve jobs whether at a distance or or as you know someone who may know him as an employee right we we sort of we forgive them being assholes we forgive their misdeeds and We say it's okay because they did all these great things and I aspire to be like them in a way that we often aspire to be like God. I mean, I think that's the whole meaning there of idolatry. Well,
1: but I mean you can like – like I think Steve Jobs is a genius, but I don't want to be like him.
0: Right. And I'm not saying you idolize him. Like I think it's perfectly (laughs) okay to admire somebody's work. And to admire ways they're able to do things, and perhaps hope to learn from them. But I, I, I think, to me, the healthy way to do that is in a in, in a sort of peer like way, in a way of like, oh, that's another human being who is also like me in some ways and not like me in other ways because we're we're different. Rather than here is this person who is who is. You know, a demigod or is godlike, whether they're an artist or, or something like that.
1: Right. But I mean, I guess I'm saying, like, I don't see the connection between idolizing someone and then wanting to be like them. Like, I don't think that's a necessary connection.
0: It, But well, then what's, what is it to idolize someone then? What's the point? What, what, you just what, think what? they're
1: super awesome. Like, I don't think girls but, but, who loved the Beatles wanted to be like the Beatles. <laughs>
0: Uh, well, that that could be probably even uh, a function of of sexism in the culture because they never conceived that they could be like the Beatles, um, you know.
1: Right, but I mean, there's lots of artists I like. I mean, that I don't want to play guitar sure. and I don't want to. Well, you you know. like
0: them, though. You're not. You're not telling me you idolize them. I mean, I, I think that there's that. That's the difference.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I. I wonder what you mean by idolatry. I mean, like what. What do you consider? Like, how much would you have to like an artist to be an uh, to idolize them?
0: I think you'd have to, well, I mean, I think that, or artist or public figure, I mean, yeah. the, the drive to be like them or to try and sort of get the a touch of their magic is, mm. is, is when it gets closer. When someone's willing to like buy the, the hair. Right, <laughs> but this is real. I mean, it's not like I'm making no, this I know. Shit up, right? I
1: wasn't, I wasn't laughing at that not being real.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> but, I mean, when when and, and when it, when you get into this sense of aura, right? When someone wants to is willing to, you know, at auction pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for the guitar that Kurt Cobain once played. Um, to me, that that's where it really starts to get sticky and and rather, it's sort of anti-self. It's you know because it's just it's just a fucking guitar <laughs> you know um and and it, it's that kind of giving over oneself that i think is damaging personally i think can be very damaging and i think the lines are blurred right and where does it happen that we w- cross from having a healthy sort of respect for the achievements of apple and steve jobs to having that kind of over admiration Idolatry of him as as someone who was more than human, uh, uh, ostensibly, right? Who, whose gifts were inhuman in a lot of ways, whether it's Jimi Hendrix or, or Kurt Cobain,
1: right? And I mean, I definitely feel like I've had that feeling about people, um, and I know that there's there's this idea that you never want to meet that person because right. it's like always going to be unfulfilling because they're actually just a human. And uh, every time I have met that person, it has been that way. Um, but uh, so, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's inherently bad. I just also don't think it inherently means you want to be like someone.
0: No, I'm not saying it means that you want to be like them, although I think that's often part of the mix, but I'm not saying it is. Um but I think it's actually. I, I tend to think more often than not it's bad. I think more than often than not it's damaging, um, and it's damaging for all involved. Um, you know, in the same way that if you're the person who is uh, who is idolized, there may be some benefits certainly. But right in the way that we, talk, you know, we Lurie was kind of irascible, and if you read some interviews, sometimes with journalists, he was irascible because it would ask him, you know, what are kind of really stupid questions. And he would call him on it, right? And in ways that maybe somebody else would indulge or be willing to put up with as part of whatever unspoken agreement there is between you know famous people and journalists. And and Lou Reed just wasn't willing to, to obey those unwritten rules, and he'd call you on it, you know. Because on the one hand, there was there was he benefited from maybe being someone. That was idolized, but there was a price we paid, right? And, you know, in which many famous people have had, in which, you know, one might argue, you know, made Kurt Cobain very depressed because he could no longer live a normal life because of the fame and the way that people idolized him, wanted to be like him or wanted to drink from the magic that he would exude, whatever that means, right? That it was this magic Elixir of life that that he could give, and that by being around him or touching him or or whatever you would you would be able to to absorb that essence. I mean, I think that that really exists. I think that's part of the problem with fame, um, obviously, and that sort in that sort of thing. Um, and when, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I, I hated whenever we would in some stupid ass assignment. Sometimes you'd be asked to like, who's your hero? I'd be like, fuck it, I don't have any heroes. Even when I was like. 10 years old <laughs> because not in a way that it seemed like it would be described to me no there's no fucking heroes sure if you want to say in a particular domain of specialty or something I can find people whose work I admire
1: no heroes you got none
0: no I don't believe in them I mean I mean maybe you know if there was somebody who say you know who swooped in and saved my life sure fine like in that sort of way maybe there there's a hero Okay, but otherwise, yeah, I'm generally down with the notion, against the notion, shall we say? Um, admiring
1: people is okay, though.
0: Admiring, just- well, admiring as a shortcut, sure, but I, I'm much more about the admiring what they do and what they maybe you know what they try to be, rather than admiring the whole person, because in many cases, whole people aren't that great, right? I mean, we. we there's all sorts of aspects about any person that maybe we don't admire, but maybe the good outweighs the bad. Abs- that's absolutely possible. But I'm much more about, oh, I admire how somebody sings or writes. I admire how that person treats her parents. I admire how that person treats his wife, his children. That sort of thing is I'm much more down for.
1: Well, I do think this is like why, you know, every – big politician always has some sort of terrible downfall because like you know in order to be good all that time you got to do something crappy like like everyone's got some sort of terrible vice you know and i think especially in politics it just seems like you have to ignore that idea you know like in order to win any sort of successful campaign you have to pretend you have no vices
0: yeah and I then mean, they
1: and then they come out in like one fell swoop of terrible and
0: i think that's something which the major parties have set themselves up for. I mean, that's a, that's, I, I don't, I hold them responsible because it's by appealing to, I think, I think that happens because politicians find it expedient to appeal to our sense of what we wish we were rather than what we actually are. (laughs) Right.
1: Well, and even that—I mean, all American is the term that comes to mind, and even inherent in that to me is exactly what you're talking about—that like heroic, do nothing wrong, you know, uh, individualism. That I mean, it just seems very. I mean, I'm—I guess I'm making the argument, or I have decided. I, I just decided I'm making the argument that I think it is pretty American too this idea that, like, someone is your hero. And, I mean, not that I'm sure other places don't have that, but, like, it seems particularly easy to uh, not think about the terrible things your hero has done here. Right. I mean, I think Chris Brown is a great example of that, too. I mean, where, like, this is one of the most famous singers out right now, and, like, the thing almost everyone is very clear on is that he beats women, right? Yeah, right. Like, like, and he keeps getting arrested for it, but everyone's cool with that. Or, you know, um, Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, like, oh, it's cool. He married like a 12 year old who's his cousin, but you know,
0: right. He's a great
1: musician. Right. I
0: mean, (laughs) it it, it goes a number of different ways. Exactly. And, but it's all about, it's all about aspiring to an ideology. Right. And, I think that that's highly, highly problematic, and I and we can speak in cultural terms, but I'm I'm more comfortable speaking in terms of one's own life, or at least my own life, at the very least. And I think it's very damaging to to put people above yourself um, as heroes, as icons, as uh, you know. As, as, you know, because I think that's what happens: is that you, 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 when we, when we forgive a Chris Brown, right? What we're doing is we're treating him as something other than, than a peer, right? Because you, you wouldn't necessarily, I would hope, tolerate that behavior in a peer and a friend, <laughs> right? But, and then of course, unfortunately, that's probably not true of a lot of people. They would tolerate that yeah. behavior, and that that's its own problem, but. Um, right, it's that, you, it's that you're tolerating it because you're treating them as somehow supernatural, superhuman, as above oneself rather than just like you only happens to be really talented in a particular way. And has had that talent recognized by a lot of people, right? Because those are two very particularistic things, right? Because they're, they're, I'm going to guess there's plenty of people who sing and write songs as well as Chris Brown in this country who just never been discovered. Right, and and yeah. that can be it is both a numbers game and a statistics game, and also because maybe those people weren't willing to do some of the things Chris Brown was willing to do in order to get discovered, and that's you know, and 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 I'm not saying that as a cut on Chris Brown or a cut right. on those other people, just n- remarking it as as a likely fact.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I think any almost anything. I mean, I, I think that's where we started. Is like if you want to get ahead in almost any sort of successful enterprise that has a lot of money involved be that a ceo hollywood music i think odds are you're going to have to do some things that people aren't going to be proud of
0: and 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 the thing though is is that odds are you're going to have to do that because not only is the society and culture at large permissive of it but perhaps even more awful is we encourage it yeah and that's that's the problem i have so i'm thinking is why why don't or can't we have a world where not only is that not looked favorably upon or at least not tolerated but actually not necessary you know and to me i mean part of it is of course the things we can do as we as we mentioned before is, is we can create our own stuff right we can decide to to build a business where we, we don't tolerate people being assholes or being sexist or being, or being misogynist, you know, we can, we can, or we can go join businesses or work with other people who do not exhibit those behaviors. And I think that's a great start, but I think it's worth asking that question. Cause if, if as long as we don't ask that question, then we, you know, we risk tolerating things that are damaging to people, right? <laughs> Whether it's damaging in, 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 in someone's sphere, right? We might say that, arguably you know maybe steve jobs you know so he was an asshole to a few hundred people he came into a contact with in his life and to some exact of course is what you take away from it or are sensitive to but then there's you know obviously worse cases in which there's been real material harm due to people being assholes um and and not just talking about hitler
1: <laughs> <laughs> well i guess though the obvious question though is like okay if someone's super talented in a way that no one else seems talented um I mean, like, uh, I'm. I guess Chris Brown. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a huge Chris Brown fan, but um, it, musically, I mean, um, so I, I can't say if you know he's particularly uniquely talented, where no other person, you know, uh, has that ability. But if someone is uniquely talented, I think Steve Jobs is one of those people. Michael Jackson is a great example. Do we like tolerate? It? How do I mean? How do you? Tell people to be like, "Well, I know that Michael Jackson has the most awesome music of all time, basically but <laughs> well but let's, there's, ignore, let's not ignore that
0: sure, but I mean there's all I mean there's so much subjectivity in that, like all right. of these are incredibly subjective notions to say that Michael Jackson you know was a great artist, you know it's completely bounded by the context of time and culture. And in all of these things, there's no way I think that we can sit there and somehow say, oh, well, objectively speaking, he was one of the great talents. No. And as a result, then, we are making these judgments, right? And maybe we're making them judgments as as societies. But then it means we can make other judgments (laughs) ultimately. I guess
1: guess my question, though, is like, okay, so you're not not buying Apple products because of this. I mean – practically what is the result like okay we sure. you know steve jobs is an asshole so like right. do we just not buy his products do well, we
0: or or rather i think it's the bigger question is how do we not make it so you have to be an asshole like steve jobs to have an apple right so i think it's turning that question on its head because right in 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 the way things are at this moment it's difficult to pick that company <laughs> that you, whose computer products you're going to buy that probably isn't run by an asshole, right? Uh, uh, you know, I, I acknowledge the difficulty. Unless you build of it. it
1: and then use Linux, right? Which you can do. I, I think Linus Torvalds seems like a good guy.
0: Yeah, right, exactly. Which which you can <laughs> do, right? And we all make those trade offs, and and so I'm not condemning the the the, the position or the decision that I'm currently using an Apple product, or saying you know that I should so never I bought have an Apple product build, because of. Because he was an asshole. Instead, I'm saying, why? How can we live our lives, each one of us, in a way that that does not valorize that necessarily or make it required? And maybe that's one way. Maybe I'm maybe maybe I'm making a bad decision. Maybe I should never have bought an yeah. Apple product because I was, in in some ways, up to now, a little bit less aware of what an asshole he was. Like, I think- although
1: you said that he's not really responsible for a lot of the. Uh- Right, a the lot awesome of the things he did d- exactly. So. so
0: I mean, it, it's it's right. I mean, I'm 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 not saying there's a simple answer. I'm I'm asking the question of why do we? Why should we valorize? And and how would we not? How would we make other decisions as 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 individuals? I, and I don't know what the right answer is. I wish I did. Yeah. But but I I think it's it's worth considering, um, and not taking it as a given. Right? Because that's that's when we take it as a given say, well, that's what you need to do to get ahead. (laughs) Right. Well then we're saying, well, that it's okay. That's what we're saying. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not willing to say that I'm willing to say that. No, that's not okay. You know? Um, and sure, each of us makes our own decisions to some extent. And, you know, and the people, you know, at the top of Apple made the decision to stick with Steve jobs through thick and thin. In a lot of cases, many left, right. Um, and, they own those decisions. Absolutely.
1: Well, actually I'd point out they didn't stick with him through stick and then they fired him.
0: <laughs> right. Well, but I mean the people sort of in the last, his last tenure at Apple. Okay. Um, it's more what I mean, you know, of course it's complex. Um, but you know, in our own lives, then I think it, it becomes, it becomes a little easier question of what, you know, if I'm willing to work for somebody who treats me like shit basically, then in a way I'm encouraging that behavior. And I, understand, yeah. you know, and I think that's exactly in a way, you know, the kind of thing that much of our podcast has been about is how do we not do that to ourselves?
1: Right. And I guess, I, I guess we don't think of it on this larger level though, usually, cause it's usually super personal, right?
0: Yeah. But, but at some point it's personal for somebody and yeah. and and part i think what any one person is is always grappling with most of the time is that cultural narrative right so part of the reason that any one of us sticks with a situation which is shitty where we're being treated poorly is because of the cultural narrative right that surrounds it where um to some extent, you know, we have to in order to get ahead, or that's what it required for that person to get ahead. So we should tolerate it, or maybe we feel like we work for somebody who, who who embodies or expresses a certain type of genius, and so we feel like in order to be exposed to that genius, we must also expose ourselves to the to the to the shitty parts of it.
1: So what if you're like a low-level Apple employee who's got an awesome job, who likes what they're doing? Um, and you know like at the top is an asshole, like do you think that that would be a but your your boss is not an asshole i mean i don't know
0: i, I mean I honestly don't know what what I, what I, I mean i I think that's a great question, and you know it, the question is you know how can can a can a company be run by an asshole but not all the way down right because it seems like from what i 've heard at Microsoft um it's really difficult to do that and that it, it tends to, it, it sort of permeates the very culture of the organization. Um, I, I can't speak because maybe if there's someone at Apple who is having a great time and feels like it, it is not touched. then I guess that's, like it's no worse than my buying Apple products at that level, of course. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there's this part in, I'm reminded of in clerks um, where uh, they talk about how when the death star is blown up, um, there's all these contractors that get blown up who are innocent, right? right? Yeah. Um and I, I mean that's what this reminds me of the idea that like and and the 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 thing is around a contractor comes in and and starts talking in this conversation and says no, you know, contractors think about this sort of thing. They if you're working for someone who's evil, you know, like that's part it's your own fault. And well, I guess I've always yeah, go ahead.
0: I mean I agree and and, and but you know, and it's a meaning, how do we push it forward? Right. You know, in the same way that 30 years ago, the idea that uh, there should be a thing as organic produce was a laughable idea amongst the mainstream. Right. The idea that you know, that maybe butter and olive oil will be better for you than margarine. Right. A laughable idea. Right. So the conversation and expectations and values can be moved. Right. It's I don't think it's that it, it is something that is I, that that is unmovable right and that therefore you know since you had to be an asshole to get to get by or or to um, rather succeed in quotes um then that's the way it's always going to be it can be different and it happens through lots and lots of little tiny decisions and changes that lots of people make and sometimes then organizations make so i mean i think the puck can be moved forward but that's right. I mean, you choose who you work for, right? And at some level, that's everyone's ethical choice. You know, I, I'm I probably very uncomfortable working for, um, you know, a company that makes nuclear weapons, even if it also makes toasters.
1: Right. That's me. Well, as was, as was Einstein, actually. <laughs> right.
0: And that's my choice. And someone else makes a different choice. And we could have a spirited argument about the ethics involved in, in one's own culpability. Sure. And I'm not, and I'm not ready to condemn somebody either. You know, when we all stop tolerating people being assholes, then the assholes have less power. And whether that's in a small scale, you know, in a small organization, or you know, in a neighborhood or whatever, or whether it's you know, in a, in a more global sort of context, um, I think that that is a tendency um, that that we we see happen, and that's why i even even think about it well
1: but i'm gonna i'm gonna turn this back uh i'm gonna turn this back to an earlier podcast how do you know that these people this is not just their image they're not actually assholes um in the a la jack white you know
0: well i mean look i mean you know i i guess i'm i'm trusting uh the author of the, the steve yeah. jobs uh book right and trusting that you know he is a he is a reasonably good journalist who is not lying outright. Um, that's absolutely true.
1: Well, not just trusting the journalist, but you know him not saying to his family like, "Oh, tell them I was a total asshole."
0: Sure. I mean, fine, great. If it's a lie, then it's a lie. Kind of an asshole move to begin with, but. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so this is not this is something that you said. So I would just point out that uh, when I said that in the Jack White episode, oh yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> and and mostly, I'm not really all that. I'm, I'm I'm actually not really particularly concerned about Steve Jobs per se. Right, for me, it's rather as an exemplar of this tendency to valorize, despite not just flaws, but people being actually mean <laughs> so yeah. it's not it's so it, you know it's not steve jobs per se because steve jobs is not steve jobs couldn't be the steve jobs we know all by himself yes you right so there's and that's the thing that whatever despite the myth it took hundreds of people both helping and and and, and contributing towards that path not just steve jobs Right? Well, and
1: in the Steve and Jobs that's real. It's
0: really more the enabling that I'm I'm criticizing than yeah. than than him.
1: It's true. Well, and in the, it's interesting because in the Steve Jobs myth, I mean, the big loser seems to be Woz, right? Like, uh, <laughs> I mean, but Woz is like the first person to be like, "I love Steve Jobs."
0: Well, I mean, he, well, it's interesting in the book. You, you hear use very, you hear his opinion change over time, right? Yeah, that's true. And I don't think he ever said. I mean, I think that he did love. Steve Jobs in the same way that you love your brother, right? I do think that there is that sort of of love, but there's also like that's why he didn't want to be at Apple anymore. I mean to some extent, right? And was right. and for him the trade-off, I mean, you know, of maybe not making even more money or having even more effect on Apple's products was worth not exposing himself to the things he didn't like. Right. Right. So in a way you can sort of say well maybe Waz really did Then behave in a very reasonable way for his own protection and sort of limiting his exposure to jobs and limiting the, the extent to which his life was affected by it, but not necessarily having to having to, you know, turn him into a villain either. Right. And, you know, being able to sort of embrace the complexity of this person. Yeah. Like
1: realizing his issues and being like, okay, I'm just not going to expose myself to that.
0: Right. And that's okay to me, too. I mean, again, I'm not very, I personally don't like the sort of black and white of like, okay, this person's uh, evil or this person's great. They're complex. And I think that, and, and, and and the thing that's great about people is that often they can choose to, To do things to behave differently and often they'll choose to behave differently when the people around them ask them to or provide context or take away rewards and you know and, and part of the steve Jobs story is that he did sort of change his behavior over time in some cases and there's some laments by his family that they kind of hope that like after he uh you know the, the, his, during his brush with cancer and came out of the hospital they kind of hoped that maybe there would be some more of a change in him that didn't materialize And they thought they saw some you know hints of while he was in the hospital so well i
1: do think it's interesting that he is also kind of like one of the most well-known zen buddhists kind of right <laughs> and also like one of the world's most known like total assholes, which is kind of the opposite of what everyone thinks like a Buddhist would be.
0: Right, well just be, I mean it doesn't mean he was a good Buddhist.
1: No, I agree, but I mean I just think it's a funny combination, like, you think of like, when people say like, Richard Gere famous Buddhist, they're like, oh he's so parsimonious, and he like, he always has to talk about it, ugh. And, uh, you know, but like, sort of like, oh he's such a good Hollywood type, ugh. Um, But I think it's funny that um, you know, Steve Jobs being like sort of the second most famous is like just total dick.
0: Right. Exactly. Well, I mean, just you know, just because you're Catholic doesn't mean you're good Catholic. Doesn't mean that sure. I just uh, think that more people who are dicks.
1: <laughs> I don't think that makes you not good Catholic. Um, I think that more people who are dicks should claim uh things that are just. Supposed to be really, really awesome. Just to ruin them, like for their own. For everybody, yeah. Right, exactly. Right. I mean, I guess that's what I guess that's what uh, Bill Gates is doing. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Right. He's just doing it for his own posthumous. And I, you know,
0: I honestly, in as much as you know, I, I, I implicated him alongside Carnegie. I honestly don't necessarily think that. Carnegie or Gates is acting only out of some sort of very contrived, limited self-interest. I, you know, I, 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 I do not. I find it utterly plausible that in some way Bill Gates is has gotten to a point in his life where he's very happy to work on something which has wide-reaching effects. In that way, right? I don't doubt that. I right, mean, well, and I think like I can also criticize the, the context, but I don't doubt it.
1: Right. Also, the idea that he gives away millions of dollars, that's nothing to him. Like, right. that, I mean, I think that's the other thing about like these people, rich people and charities. Like, it's like, well, but that's probably actually good for them. Tax, you know, it's not like I mean, not that they could just not do it. That's or true, too. <laughs>
0: maybe if we lived in a world in which people couldn't get that rich, maybe there wouldn't be a need for charity.
1: Sure. <laughs> I mean, it's whatever p- communist
0: what, or whatever, right? I mean, it's not communist. We have a system which is, you know, I would say, uh, d- you know, at this point, engineered very well engineered to facilitate and encourage the uh, accumulation of wealth in that sort of way. And in order for that to happen, I think it's pretty obvious to anyone that in order for that to happen, we, lots of other people have to not be able to accumulate wealth. Um, the systematic, uh, you know, siphoning off of resources from one part of the world to another is—I don't think anyone could argue that didn't happen.
1: I had a conversation with my mother yesterday about how in the Middle East it's really sad because some people have all the money and some people have no money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <But then, laughs> I like, said, "Yeah, I think." By the way, my mother's on food stamps. So, right. <laughs> and I was like yeah, I think that could be said uh, about our country as well. And she was like, meh. Like, she didn't buy it. She didn't buy that (laughs) argument. So, I mean, I don't know that it isn't as obvious as you think it might be.
0: Sure. Fair (laughs) enough. Point taken. Should we we do some uh, things we like? Sure. You go first.
1: Okay. Um, I don't know who recommended this to me. It might have been you. Um, But I have been trying to start learning how to use this fancy camera I purchased. And someone... Uh, suggested creative live.com um which from what i can gather did seem to be mostly about professional photography for a long time but now is like about everything so it's um an education website where pretty much every day they have about three or four classes um that are live broadcast um for free and then if you want to buy them they're usually like 50 to 150 dollars um if you purchase them um to watch forever um but during the live cast it's free and you can uh ask questions through the chat room in this way that i thought like oh they're not going to actually ask, answer these questions but it's really really direct connections to these people who are awesome at what they do and recently it's been very non photograph heavy so like they had a lot of health and wellness stuff they had Hmm. some productivity things they've had some meditation stuff Um, they're doing all these craft uh, classes for Halloween Um, so I I mean honestly it's one of those things that now every morning like I'll um, look at what the classes are just to see like oh is there anything I'm interested in and sort of listen to it in the background Um, it's really great so I highly suggest it yeah, I haven't bought one one of their classes. I've just only watched them streaming.
0: I've watched a few. I haven't looked at it in a while. Um, I didn't realize that they were branching out quite as much. I knew they yeah. had some sort of. I knew they had some sort of like professional development kind of things going on.
1: Yeah, I was kind um, of shocked actually to the extent at which they were doing that. They are branching out.
0: And I think one of the principals is this guy uh, Chase Jarvis, who is uh, was is a, f- a professional photographer known for doing mostly does commercial photography advertising and does really, you know, complex crazy shoots to get, you know, really, you know, kind of un- in some cases, unreal images or images of things that are very difficult to photograph, you know, action shots yeah. and things like that. And, you know, it, it as many people, he is both sort of uh, admired and reviled in the photography community <laughs> uh, in part reviled because he is so successful as a commercial photographer and because, you know, and he's very part of his personality or his persona is, you know, being very, very out, you know, telling you how to do this. But then, you know, he put a quite a bit of his reputation on how much of his own money into building this, you know, into building Creative Live, which gives away quite a bit of its stuff.
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that's what's cool. I, I think there's a couple of things. First, the the free aspect is obviously really excellent. And the, the way it's taught in that you're very involved even if you're online though the inclusiveness of the online audience is actually the thing that sort of shocked me that it's not in their best interest to have that happen you know um and so i mean i think that's great and then it's it's interesting to hear you say that i didn't know that about him because a lot of it does seem to focus around um a lot of the photo stuff seems to focus around I would like to have a photo business, you Mm -hmm. know, of portraits of seeing, you know, taking senior portraits or whatever, which is something I don't care about at all. Um, And in fact, I've been sort of like, can we get some photo, photo classes that aren't about, you know, senior portrait photography, (laughs) Um, but even, and then they're pretty much rebroadcasting free stuff all during the day. Like right now there's five classes being rebroadcast right now. Um, And one of the, two of them are photo, three of them are photo and one is home design and one is uh, turn customers into fans, you know, sort of a social media class. So, um, I mean, I just highly suggest looking at it uh, to see if there's classes. I know uh, they have a class on, you know, an, doing a great Etsy business that was coming up that I thought was really neat. So, I mean, just things that there's nowhere else really having these classes for free. It's just kind of awesome.
0: Yeah. That's nice. Uh, I'll, I will have to go look again because I there's, am aware of them and I've looked, but I haven't in a long time.
1: They've been doing a lot of like, life skills, like time management, productivity stuff too. So if you like the show, you might like them.
0: I need none of that.
1: And you can suggest <laughs> classes, which is also cool. And they seem to take that fairly seriously.
0: Cool. Uh, mine is just a book. It's very boring. It is called Debt, the First 5,000 Years by David Graeber. Have you finished it? I finished it. Yeah. I finished And it was one of those things that it got uh, recalled at the library, so I had to finish it very quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it it was a time when my wife was in Russia, so I could pretty much just stay up all night and not (laughs) bother anybody. Um, David Graeber is an anthropologist um, now based out of Britain, and he had came to some notoriety in some uh, radical academic circles uh, a number of years ago when he was denied tenure at Yale. Um, ostensibly he had, he had, you know, according to the meritocracy, done everything he was supposed to do, had books and publication, good journal articles. Um, but he is also a very outspoken anarchist and he believes that some of his political positions ended up in him not getting tenure at at Yale. And now he's, I forget where he is. He's somewhere in the UK but um that the first 5000 years is what it sounds like and it's it's exploring the anthropological record with regard to money and debt and with the aim of um casting doubt on many of our assumptions that we the received assumptions and received wisdom about what and what money is and and how these things came to be Um, with the grander project of sort of casting doubt on this idea that the economic system that we currently have is of course the most rational, most logical one that we should have. And is, you know, somehow the end end result, right. Rather than, than one of many possible systems that we could have and might also, we could have something better. It's really good. Um, It's a long book. It's, He's an academic, but it's written for a lay audience. It's written for a general audience. And he's a pretty good storyteller and and um does a pretty good job of reviewing the uh the historical and anthropological record on these things. So I, I certainly recommend it. Awesome. All right. Well I guess that's it.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I've not I mean that sucks. That's all <laughs> I gotta say. I haven't read it, so <laughs>
0: Because it's like, there's not a lot of, I think at this point, there's not a lot of disagreement that people don't want to have debt, but if that's true, then why do most people have it? That,
1: and why is like your credit better if you take on a lot of debt? <laughs> I think it's bit, even better.
0: Yeah, he doesn't get at that. I don't think he's trying to get yeah. any sort of, uh, he's not an economist and he's not trying to pretend to be Right,
1: one. that's just my general question. In
0: fact, he would say that a lot of economists are full of shit <laughs> because their assumptions are wrong. But that's a different argument altogether. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, thank you very much, Jenny. Thank you, Paul.